you just caught me reading my brand new book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. The book, me and my co-host Ben Durant wrote this last year and it is now finally out at bluerosebag.com. This book contains over 100 interviews with cast and crew, community commentary, and of course, us. For example, here are some of the fine folks you'll find in this wonderful book. Krista Bell, Charlotte Stewart, David Patrick Kelly, Jim Belushi, John Neff, Scott Frost, Cheryl Lee, Matthew Lillard, and the one, the only, Kyle McLaughlin. So get your copy today at bluerosemag.com. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hey, Brian. Hey, Ben. Today we have a reunion show of sorts. A few years ago, we did Mulholland Drive, the movie, Yeah. and we had Maya and Joel Bacco and John Thorne. But back then when we were first doing this, we didn't have a whole panel together. We would we would interview people in separately. So yeah. this is the first time we get to have everybody back together. Hi, everyone. Hi, I'm Maya, a Twin Peaks fanatic, um, ready to talk about the pilot. Oh, hey, I'm Joel from Lost in the Movies and uh, looking forward to kind of talking about the pilot and the uh, and how it how it feels different and yet is so similar to the movie. Kind of fascinating. And this is uh, John Thorne. I produced the Blue Rose magazine. And uh, once upon a time, I did a magazine called Wrapped in Plastic. And the reason we're doing this now is it's actually the 20th anniversary of the pilot that never aired. So I think it was. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that. Okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, it would have. It would. The. The pilot would have. The show would have come out right now during the fall season of 19. Is it 1999? Yeah, it's 19. Yeah, 1999. It would have been. It would have been airing right now if it had been picked up. If you go out there, you can find this online. Um, Uh, One version of it, but uh, I. I, Yes, we have the hour and a half version of it. But John Thor knows all the history about all this. So John, (laughs) please tell everybody before we get started the history of this this pilot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So David Lynch uh, had. uh, proposed, I guess. To, I'm not sure the, the actual genesis of Mulholland Drive, other than we, you go know, way back. I guess the idea actually came from Lynch and F- Mark Frost, uh, who had come up with a general thought of uh, Audrey Horn leaving the Twin Peaks storyline and going to Hollywood, and maybe this show would be called Mulholland Drive. That never was developed anything further than that, as far as I know. But um, at some point, Lynch wanted to pursue this idea of a story taking place in Hollywood called Mulholland Drive. And I'm not exactly sure how it all came to be that he went to or ABC television or a production company went to ABC television and said, we'd like to make this into a television series. 
which I, I say I don't know how all that came together because it's so surprising to me that Lynch would ever want to return to network TV after what happened with Twin Peaks and on the air. Um, why he would ever even go back to ABC is surprising to me. But nevertheless, it did happen. ABC was interested in uh, David Lynch writing and shooting a pilot for a series that was going to be called Mulholland Drive. And so David Lynch did do that. He wrote a script and he went out and he shot a feature length movie. Uh, it ran the final cut that Lynch was happy with ran two hours and five minutes long. And, um, the people at ABC at the time were very, very nervous about it, very uncertain. And, and ultimately, uh, they were just too nervous to commit to it. And so initially, they said, if you can shorten that down, that two hour and five minutes down to 88 minutes, we'll be a lot happier. We want it to move faster. We want to cut out some of this extraneous material we think is extraneous material. Um, and Lynch really did not want to do that. And he fought somewhat against that. But ultimately... He did produce an 88-minute cut, which is the one that I think we're going to be talking about uh, today. And uh, and even with that, uh, and he took the notes that ABC gave him and, and tried to address their concerns, even with that, they ultimately passed on uh, Mulholland Drive. And so uh, this project was there, um, basically filmed with no way to be released. Obviously, we all know time passed. Uh, Lynch still had the rights to the, the work. Uh, he was able to add new material to what he had shot, and he released it as a feature film in the fall of 2001, and it went on to great acclaim. Mm. But there was a lot of conflict around this project when it was being developed as a television series. And I would just recommend to everyone who is interested in the history of Mulholland Drive to look up an article that is uh, that was published in the New Yorker magazine. I believe you can find it online. And it's from the September 6, 1999 New Yorker magazine. It's called Creative Differences by the author Tad Friend who was with Lynch when he got the call that ABC was passing on the pilot. And he, he's a fly on the wall. He reports how Lynch reacted, what Lynch was doing. It is one of the best articles on Lynch's creative process and him struggling against um, essentially executives <laughs> who, who don't have the same view as he does. That is, um, I think, required reading for anyone who's interested in Lynch and certainly anyone who's interested in Mulholland Drive. And we'll put that link in the show notes. Right. Yeah. Yep. I was looking at that. I don't Did you mention, John, so yeah, this was kind of, originally this was something back in 1990-91 that maybe Sherilyn Fenn was going to do a spinoff. It was going to be Audrey going to Hollywood. And like I think it was called Mulholland Drive. But there was the idea that like – a Twin Peaks spinoff where Audrey would go to Hollywood and solve mysteries or something like that. I don't know if it was ever developed in any kind of detail. Yeah. I mean, there's rumors out there, and I I can't really say for sure. And then maybe you know uh, Joel or Maya may know more than I about this. I um I do know that that it originated, I think, with Frost and in the Twin Peaks era mm. that this might be something. And I think the name just stuck. With yeah. Lynch, he really liked the name Mulholland Drive, and so later, almost ten years later, I guess eight years later, he he developed it. Hmm. And it seems like it seems to me like Tony Krantz was was like his agent 
who like actually mm-hmm. brought Mark Frost and David Lynch together. I feel like he probably was nudging him toward TV again. I mean, he seems like he was somebody who had those connections and thought maybe Lynch could do it again. And yeah, Tony Kranz is um, is mentioned um, and and interviewed in that article in the New Yorker, yeah. and um, his involvement. Uh, with the whole project is laid out in there too. And one other thing, and then we'll bring it open up to the panel. You know, at this time, I think ABC is now owned by Disney, which is interesting. And in the production, the people that are, I think, helping making this TV show, Imagine seem to be part of this, involved with this whole thing, which is interesting. These are people that, I don't know, I feel like it's a little more wholesome, especially when you think ABC is now taken over by Disney. They probably have a more wholesome image, and this might not be... Right. right fit for them. Right. But. So it's interesting, oh. too. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and someone out there can correct me, I think Mulholland Drive, the, the pilot, was shot before the straight story was shot. Yeah. And then that didn't work out, but Lynch had a relationship with Disney, and he, he obviously That's shot the point. straight story and released the straight story under the Disney you know umbrella, and it got quite a bit of acclaim. Ten bucks says you're Betty. Yes, I am, Mrs. Lenoir. It is Mrs. Lenoir, isn't it? Oh, and all my living glory, baby. Pleased to meet you. Oh, just call me Coco. Everybody else does. Wait there and I'll go get the key. Okay, Coco. What were your, your first reactions watching this version, this this 80-minute version of Mulholland Drive? It's kind of, it's, it's so weird because you feel like, all this was in the movie, but at the same yeah. time, some of it wasn't, and then things are kind of remixed. It's like in different mm-hmm. places. I uh, I really did like it. I was trying to find what was different. Mm. <laughs> oh, it's probably been a little while since I've seen the a movie, but to me, it seemed like only like kind of how you said, just a few exaggerated scenes that seemed a little bit different, and then all the the darker, saucier stuff sort of taken out. Um, but I did enjoy it. I thought it it kind of had um, a more wholesome feel to it. So I think that sort of maybe would have worked for Disney at the time if he had gone that way. Maybe the way it was ultimately shot with some of like the Silencio scene and some of the sexier stuff probably maybe wasn't ever going to be in the original show. But I'm glad we got a feature length film. I think that that was sort of brilliant. And I don't. I don't know if the pilot quite compares, but I certainly thought it was really good and very enjoyable. Yeah, this was my first time watching the actual pilot version. I'd I'd read an um, a, I think a blog post from like 10, 15 years ago where they actually wrote down every single difference. So I kind of had a sense of what the differences would be, like what was in what was shot for the pilot but not in it, what was in the shot for the film, and what was you know shot for the pilot kept in it and uh, so the things that stuck out to me were first of all the aspect ratio and i meant to check on this and i think we talked about this actually yes. last time we had a podcast That's on right. all and drive yes. and i think we came to a conclusion but i can't remember what it was but do we know did they crop it for the theatrical version or did they crop it did they shoot it um i guess yeah i i, I should have made a comparison when i was watching it because i i meant to John, do you know, or Maya? Or... That's a great question. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to go back and look at that. I wouldn't be surprised if Flinch, when he shot it, was shooting it with widescreen in mind. Mm. Um, yeah, but, it wouldn't um, make sense. Why would he? Yeah. I, 
I don't know. I don't know the answer. It holds up pretty well, though, in the film. Like, it feels... Although I do feel like the stuff that he shot for the film does feel a little different. Mm -hmm, Um, And then the other thing was just... And this could partly just be the dub, but I do feel like there's more there. I know the music was different in a few spots, but, like, the mix felt a little different, like a little plainer, like a little more TV. Um, mm. And again, that could just be it being condensed down to the terrible form we saw it in that, like, David Lynch does not want us seeing it in. So I hope he never listens to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it just, like, it, it felt more TV to me. And it's funny because I had in my mind, like, watching the movie, okay, this part's the pilot, this part's the film. And I felt like as I watched the movie, I kind of gotten to the point where I saw a lot of it almost as the pilot. Like, oh, I'm watching the pilot part now. But it really is different watching it this way. Like, you're like, oh, no, this feels like, for the most part, an unusual one, but a TV pilot, you mm. know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, and, of course, the quality of the <laughs> of the dub I know. helps that, too. Like, it, it, it kind of helps that it looks kind of run down, and you're, like, seeing it through this TV-ish VHS. It's kind of cool. Filter. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny that Lynch yeah, hates... I gotta, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, Lynch hated uh, TV quality, though. He always thought yes. like the video quality was He's, awful. And I'm oh, sure yeah, he'd, he would hate it that people were watching this. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Of a dub, of a dub, of a dub. Yeah. So, Joel, just so you know, um, I remember I found this when we – I think we talked about this when we okay. talked about Mohan Drive. The pro- uh, projection yes. department got a – yeah, they got this card with the film. And it was regarding Mohan Drive and how he wanted the the volume raised 3D be hotter than normal. Decibels, right? Yeah. yeah, and then he wanted a um, he would also give the picture a small amount of headroom as shown below, and he has a little chart, mm. and he it was like one eighty five aspect ratio, and it says like thank you very much, your friend David Lynch, and he signs <laughs> it, which is so cool that he would send that out with the film yeah. to the uh, projectionist. Right, but still not sure how he filmed it and like. Like was he filming it for TV, three by four, and I then think, yeah. I I feel like the way I, I'm not super knowledgeable about cameras, but I feel like I remember having this conversation once about something where it was like most things, particularly at that time, you know, might be a little different now with digital. It is different now with digital, I think, but things would actually be shot because the normal film frame is kind of a square ratio. Yeah. So you would kind of shoot and if you crop if you if it was going to be 185 you'd crop it, but if it's going to be 233 like if it was going to be really widescreen, you'd shoot it with an anamorphic lens. Yeah. And that would distort it so you actually are getting more information but kind of in the weeds, I guess. Right. Does it- anybody know did I feel like I read at some point that there was someone else I think like a woman who was I don't think I don't know if she even technically wrote, but she was like working on the concept with him at one point. Hmm. But I never find information about that beyond what I feel like I read somewhere. I don't know anything about that. Like he didn't. It wasn't just him initially, right? And then of course he gets the credit, and I think he ended up writing most of it. But somewhere I read something that he was he had like a somebody like who's ghostwriter. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, I don't know. John, do you know anything about, about I, that? You know, that's a great question. I wondered about that today because I actually have a copy of the one of the early scripts of Mulholland Drive, and oh, it wow. reads almost like wow. a novel. I, I, you're right. I hope David Lynch isn't listening. Because <laughs> um, um, I don't even remember how I got this. But there is so much descriptive text in here. Um, it is, it's a very thick, wordy, um, 
I'm looking at it now. Long, long. Um, like I'll just read you one here. It says um, they're talking about the blue table. Um, the surface of this table is high gloss, ultra smooth material. A very modern phone sits on this table and begins to ring softly. A hand enters frame, a woman's hand. The skin is pale white, almost translucent. The fingers are long and seem slightly too large. At the ends of the fingers and the thumb, at the ends of the fingers and thumb are stretched, tapered, high gloss red fingernails, which slightly curve downward. The forefinger of the hand presses a button on the phone. A small tone sounds, followed by a very modern sounding coded signal that's just one short paragraph wow. just long long paragraph that's an that's not a normal in script. the finished film i think right yeah. like that's yeah. in the tv pilot but we don't get that shot in the film ironically because um, they just have the phone ringing and it's in diane selwyn's apartment yeah, I, I think they replaced the shot of the box and the fingernails hmm. that was like one of the few shots that wasn't in the movie but it was in the pilot to get back to to the idea you know it's very possible that lynch wrote this without a doubt i i wonder if he did have um someone else though who was helping him embellish it or mm-hmm. um, I also wonder if Mary Sweeney was involved because obviously yeah. she had just written the script for Straight Story and they were work- she edited Mulholland Drive and so they were working very closely together at the time it's possible she was essentially a ghostwriter to some extent on Makes this uh, to pure speculation out there Pure from me, pure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an article uh, from uh, Vice.com, the story of Mahan Drive as told by the people who made it. And I'll put that in the show links. But uh, Laura Herring, she mentions that the whole concept of this pilot is the idea of this amnesia woman. Uh, you know, I think we call her Diane, not Diane, no, it's Rita. Rita, I'm sorry, Rita in the show, in the movie. And I, But I think the idea was going to be that it was going to be an arc throughout the whole season, maybe going into another season of who was this mystery woman and stuff like that. Right. And so, it's, you know, you have a who killed Laura Palmer and now this is who is Rita. Who is Rita. Yeah. But I mean, I think that was the idea of the, the plot mm-hmm. was we were going to find out over many episodes. I'm going to study those lines until I know them inside out. Yep, either right here on this fabulous leather couch, or I'll take him with the coffee into the courtyard like a regular movie star. <laughs> oh, I got a real shock to find your friend Rita here. She was in the shower, and I opened the door. Rita, what do you mean? Well, she was in an accident. Rita, your friend. No, Coco unlocked the door. No, she didn't see her. She's sleeping. I'm sure there's some explanation for this, Aunt Ruth. I don't think we have to do that. Let's let's jump into the plot, guys. This hour, this 88 minutes lays out these new characters for us, these characters' mysteries. It felt like very modern to me anyway. A more modern show, a show that I would watch on Netflix right now. It fits that mold. It takes its time. It's weird. It's quirky. But it it feels like something I could potentially be watching now on a streaming service where ABC back then would be like, this is scary. I will say for me, The Two Detectives by Forrester and the other gentleman who was in season three of Twin Peaks. I can't think of his name. He played Detective Mackley. Right. Right. Is it Brent Briscoe? Is that his name? Yeah. 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 And those two guys, it was so like, I like those two characters. And it's a shame that we don't see him again to almost an hour later. I timed it. I was like an hour before we see these guys again. And they're very 
like staring off and they they real they almost remind me of Dale Cooper a little bit because they they come to conclusions so quickly. They're like, <laughs> We found pearls. Yeah. Well someone must be missing. must missing because of these pearls. And I'm like, well, yeah. you don't know. What are these guys going to have pearls on in their pocket? I said maybe they drive a lot of people and they lose yeah, pearls. Yeah, but they're like, nope, pearls, yeah. yeah. There, there was a girl here. Like, they did no detective work other than that. <laughs> but it was interesting. Like, I would have loved to see these characters fleshed out more if this show became a series and you had, like, other, like, a Harley Payton and all these people come in and write and direct. I thought these characters could have been interesting and fun especially later on when the, when when the guy tells that really gruesome story about them all laughing about this guy who's gonna die because his arteries yeah <laughs> um it was so bizarre he said uh well you know in his way you know what i mean besides a guy getting rolled up under the kid's car which busted him up pretty bad there was this little knife-like torn piece of metal you know from the car body rolled out, slid up through the guy's neck, and just kind of slit the carotid artery, you know. But they didn't find it right away. So the guy's losing a lot of blood, you know, to the brain all this time. Because it's just like this thin little puncture wound on the surface of the neck that just kind of sealed itself, he said, while uh, inside the carotid artery's bleeding pretty steady all that time. So anyway... Dr. Scott's laughing, you know, like he does, because he knows we want to talk to this guy. He's laughing, you know, and shaking, and some of it can't stop laughing, and it's, well, it's kind of contagious, because pretty soon we're all laughing. I mean, the nurse is laughing. You know how he is. Find out who they are? No, not yet. Fingerprints don't match up anywhere. <laughs> um so for for you guys um like uh character wise in this 88 minute pilot i mean wh who would you like to see like what would you guys gravitate towards and if this would kind of continue beyond this i guess uh joel we'll start with you on this one watching it this way it definitely made me curious about uh the adam kesher character in kind of a different way like yes how is he going to deal with, okay, so he's made his compromise. And in the film, that's like his arc. He yeah. makes the compromise mm -hmm. and that's kind of the end. He sees Naomi Watson. Maybe it's what, like what could have been, but here it's like the beginning of something. Right. Like how does he keep struggling against that or doesn't he or, or whatever, you know? And, and of course the whole cabal behind, behind this whole thing, Angelo Badalamenti and Dan Hadaya and uh, Michael J. Anderson in the chair and, <laughs> That would have been such a fascinating aspect to dig into. Yeah. Um, I'm not usually like, you know, it's fun to imagine al alternatives. I'm not usually one to say, oh, I, I love the movie, but I wish we could have gotten the TV show. Like, I, I kind of consider it a good sacrifice in a way that, like, we got the movie out of it. But mm. I think watching it this way really does hit home how much potential there is there for just this long winding series through this strange world. <laughs> Totally agree. Uh, yeah, I agree with Joel. I felt um, like there was a lot of things that were interesting, like it could have gone in all different directions. I One thing that stood out to me was, I think the actor's name is Scott Coffey. Yeah. 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 And I 
was like, what is that scene? <laughs> what, <laughs> there, there was nothing. But I thought, wow, that would have been so interesting to find out what that was all about. But I found yeah. myself mostly interested in like what was Camilla Rhodes' connection to these mafia guys and yeah, how that would have played out. You know, they were so intent on putting her in the film and would it have gone differently than how it it, it is in the movie? I kept kind of wondering if uh, looking for understanding to how it ultimately ends up in the movie and thinking, well, if it is all a dream, suggesting that that is what it is, maybe that's why, you know, the, the detectives were kind of having that odd conversation or strange things just didn't quite add up. But um, I don't know. Overall, I, I think it was still felt very similar to the film in a lot of ways to me. Yeah. Interesting. We'll, we'll dive into that. I should say up front that, um, I didn't watch the whole 88-minute version. <laughs> um, I have seen the two-hour and five-minute version, and I, I must say now I've got three versions in my head, and they get confused. So um, I was surprised. I skimmed through the 88-minute version. I didn't watch it all. There's stuff that is in it um, that he took out for the film, but there's stuff from the two-hour and five minutes that he put back in for the film there was stuff that was shot mm. for the pilot um that we don't see in this 88 minute version um and then there's some stuff that's entirely missing from all you know from from the the pilot uh, you know the two hour and five minute version has some things that didn't make it into the film and aren't in this 88 minute version either so oh. i know that all sounds real confusing and i apologize for that <laughs> but um um, I do think there were seeds being planted here, like Joel says, um, with the two detectives. This was something that maybe we we're going to develop over you know, the course of this series. And then that character that Maya mentioned, I think his name is Wilkins. Uh, Scott Coffey uh, is playing that character. And um, Scott Coffey does show up in the theatrical version as maybe a different character. He's at the party that Betty at the end in the dream sequence that she goes to and Kesher proposes to, um, oh, the character's names are also confusing to me now, but um, essentially Laura Herring as character at that point, Scott Coffey is there essentially, I think playing a new character, but that Wilkins character from the pilot is fascinating too because it was almost seeming like he was he was like a Harold Smith type character. Mm. He didn't want to leave his apartment. He was mm. he was like, Can you bring me some food? And he said, No, I got plenty of money. I just can't get out. And I I thought and he has the dog sitting on the couch watching him. And I thought that was some intriguing element there. Like, you know, this guy's stuck in his apartment. Why doesn't he want to go out? Is he afraid to go out or mm. is he worried that somebody might be after him? And, and so there was all of that potential there. Um, that would have been developed at the series. I continued. That, that so. guy reminded me of Cato Kalin. Yeah, I Did, can see that. Yeah, he's a very '90s. That that section. <laughs> yeah, made me like more than anything else in the pilot. Be like, oh yeah, this was like a '90s show. Yeah, <laughs> he says groovy. He's like groovy, <laughs> and I'm like. And he has a dog, and you know, first thing I Google, like the dude, yeah, and he's all messy, like he hasn't got left the house. And I Google Cato Kalin, he looks very similar to him. And there was a, you know, OJ had a dog, a similar dog, and you know, Cato Kalin would, you know, he lived on his property. I don't know. I know David Lynch was fascinated by that, so that's that's why I thought of it. Right. Hello, Adam. How's it going? No, no, it's okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working, but um, they wanted the script a week ago. What? Well, 
What's wrong with your place? The pool man? Oh, yeah, sure, you can have a loft. No, no, it's no problem. It's just that I, I, I gotta... I gotta work. Any chance you could bring some food? No, no, I've, I've got plenty of money. I just haven't been out in a while. Groovy, man. Well, Murphy and I look forward to seeing you. No, no, he's got plenty of food. And so, yeah, I mean... John, you mentioned about uh, you mentioned about some of the scenes that differed between the different versions. I mean, I think that whole restaurant scene and they go outside and they see the bum mm -hmm. that was in the original two hour what, five minute yes. version, and they take it out of the eighty eight minute one and then they bring it back into the movie. But that is like a powerful scene. I love that scene in in Mahalan Drive the movie, and it's so weird to think that would be taken out so that that David was could... because ABC did not want that scene really? in the movie. They, in the pilot. They crazy. wanted that out, and Lynch was really upset about, upset about all their changes that they wanted. But um, if you read, again, that New Yorker article, they yeah. talk about that scene, and um, ABC wanted it removed. Because that's like one of the big jump scares, for me anyways. When I watch yeah. it, it's like, whoa, what is it? Who is this? Yeah. And... Well, in this version, we still get that per that person at the end at the end but you don't get that yeah. original like because i think the guy yeah. is like he has had a dream and he's a little right freaked out oh the, like, that whole winkies part yeah, is totally wink, gone yeah yeah, yeah yeah and we mentioned um coffee there with scott coffee he's in uh season three of twin peaks he's one of the, uh, right. the roadhouse and stuff mm -hmm, like that. but i think right. it's interesting yeah. he brings back character and i also just want to bring up robert forrester's detective character again i mean we all know this but he was the original harry truman for the pilot of twin peaks he was going to be in it so it's kind of cool in a way that the lynch was able to bring him back as another kind of detective law and, and he has the same stature he really just <laughs> kind of stares and he's he's very like he just talks calmly when I, and, I, and it's funny I, the more you know i mean i think we all know this but the more we realize it, this is lynch which uh, is the one that's always saying slow down slow down right i just want you to speak slowly and <laughs> take it calm and i think it's it's unnatural but that's lynch's style in a way to you feel it yeah sammy thinks the caddy had stopped along the shoulder Man up the road said he saw two cars drag racing. Then you got that blind corner. Two men, two guns in the caddy. The boys found this on the floor in back of the caddy. Yeah, you showed me. Could be unrelated. Could be. Any of those dead kids wearing pearl earrings? No. Could be someone's missing, maybe. That's what I'm thinking. Watching this, I still find it comical, and I don't know about the other pilot, John. The, the, the character Joe the bumbling hitman guy, which, I mean, I have to imagine if this was, you know, we got a series, his character would have some sort of arc. I kind of felt like all these characters, if this was like 22 episodes or whatever, they yeah. were all going to meet at some point. They yes. were all going to cross paths yes. and something bad was going to happen. But Joe, he is like, I don't know, it's kind of like, at first, it's comedy relief. I mean, he, he kills a guy. He shoots the wall. He shoots the woman. And she's like, ah, something 
And then, you know, it, it's comical to watch him try to, like, strangle her. But then it gets a little dark because you're like watching him just beat up this woman, and then and then that guy, the vacuum cleaner guy, is just staring, Uh, and he's like, "Help me, help me!" She's hurt. Yeah, and you know the fire alarm goes off, and he's like, "God damn it!" He's just trying to get out of there, and he can't catch a break. We see him one more time, and he's with the guy and the girl, and he's basically you get the point that he's looking for the Rita character because he's asking the girl, "Is there any girls?" on the street now any new girls brunette and i don't think we see him again after that i think that's about it mistaken here because i can't remember all the versions but doesn't that character isn't that character show up again in in essentially in the theatrical version right he's the one who meets naomi watts at the diner yeah and right says, yes. you know yeah he's the one who's going to you know perform the hit yes says, yes you know, once you do this there's no going back right right yeah okay he seems like he's in it earlier in the movie and he's talking to the girl and you kind of wonder if it's one and the same person. Like, you know, like in Mulholland Drive. They're dressed the same. They're dressed the same. Were they they always the same person where, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. But in this, he just disappears. And I love the actor. I mean, the actor was uh, in Lost. Lost, He's the big God figure. A lot of these actors were in Lost and the actor who got cut out, Patrick Fischler, he was in Lost too, right? that's right, right, yeah. Maybe there weren't a lot, but I feel like there were at least Three or four, maybe. Great actor. Well, you know what? One of them was in, uh, what's his name? Jeremy Davies ended up in the Twin Peaks season three. So I think that's why I'm thinking that. Yeah, that's true. Lynch Lynch and Lost have a lot of overlap. (laughs) Uh, I thought the scene with the hitman, so both the scene with the hitman and the scene with the, uh, the pool man, both when he's discovered and when the other guy comes and beats him and the wife up. Yeah. They both were different from in the movie, but in different ways. I'm pretty sure yeah. the Hitman scene did not have a score in the film. And the scene with the wife and the pool man definitely has a score in the film. And it, it doesn't really in this. Or it's no, it's a different score that's yeah. like not, not quite as jazzy or something. And right. they played like a little differently for me. And I think both are funnier in the film. But maybe that's just because I'm what, what I'm used to. The the lack of any sound as he's trying to like kill this woman somehow makes it like <laughs> just more like it more absurd and funny and the the sort of comical piano score as the as like the pool man is like this just this like casual lounge jazz as he's like discovering his marriage is like going down the toilet and Billy Ray Cyrus is attacking him and stuff like just to me like both both of his little small subtle tweaks in the theatrical film improve both scenes. I yeah. think. And at the pool, the pool scene, and that music makes me think of the music that, uh, uh, Cooper Dougie yes. is going for it's, breakfast. He's at, Oh, breakfast. well, I don't remember if it was that scene, but there, the or scene when like Adam Kesher's driving, it's the same. It's take five by yes. Dave Rubin. Who fired everyone? They did. finally used it like 20 years later <laughs> didn't make it into Mulholland Drive but he's like man I gotta get that in uh, 
Yes. I got to get that into uh, my work somehow. <laughs> and and so, John, you actually got to interview a, a lot of these actors from Mulholland Drive. Do you have like some stories to share with us with the cast? Uh, yeah, we were very lucky um, at the time. We interviewed Naomi Watts. We interviewed Lor- La- Lorraine, Lorraine Herring. We uh, um, uh, interviewed um, Justin Theroux and then some of the the smaller players, um, uh, Richard Green, who played the magician, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know, a couple others. And I will, t- I you know, I think I may have said this before, but Naomi Watts was probably my favorite interview of all time. Oh, um, nice. She was so just she's just so smart for for one thing. She she was really really interested in the film, in the story, and what it meant. I mean, she she was the main performer in it. She had worked closely with Lynch, but she wanted to talk about its, its you know, its meaning and the theories about it. Um, she was just a really wonderful person to talk to. But, you know, everyone was. Justin Thoreau has one of my favorite lines, I think, of all times when he's talking about making the pilot for ABC. And he says something to the effect of ABC – David Lynch was giving ABC a gourmet meal. And all they wanted was a tub of mayonnaise. <laughs> so, um, you know, just a fantastic wow. line. Um, and Laura Herring um, is, a, a, again, just a, a great person. I had a chance to meet her at a Festa, a Twin Peaks Festival a couple of years ago. Wow. It's the first time I'd ever met her. And, um, uh, and she was just a, a very, very nice person. And um like all the actors that work with Lynch, every one of them is is smart and they're so very talented. So, yeah, it was a thrill to be able to talk to the to all the the big cast members uh, from Mulholland Drive. Howdy, howdy to you. Beautiful evening. Yeah. Do you want to thank you for coming all the way up here to see me from that nice hotel downtown? So, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about the cowboy scene. It's like one of the best scenes in this in this movie. And now, seeing this cowboy scene in the context of Adam's overall story arc, and you know, I'm more sympathetic with Adam in this this version because I actually see where he's coming from. His life's going to shit, and it sounds like Hollywood has a hit on him to say, "You better do what you're told, or you're done." And he's an up. He's he's a, he you know he's a very well known director. Obviously, um, they want to make this film. They want their girl, the girl, in there. And he's he's pushing back, and Hollywood becomes scary because of that. In this cowboy scene, it still works for me anyway. Um, and I still love the act, like the way it plays out. And also, it's interesting, you know. Now you will see me one more time. If you do good, you'll see me two more times if you do bad. And it would have been great if this show, you know, played that out where you saw the cowboy one time in the middle of the season and then will he see him one more time? Maybe a season finale. Yes. You see him one more time. You see a hat. You see a t- you see this cowboy hat, but it pans down it's not him or something. Well, to me, it did seem like the exact scene from the movie, which I guess is hard for me to d- totally distinguish the two because, of me course, too. I like yeah. the theatrical version. Um, but, yes, I agree. He would have. It would have been a cool thing to see him again and have him be this sort of background threatening force that you might just see here and there. You have like an ominous, ominous rather, 
person in the series. Anybody else have thoughts? About I was going to say real quick though. Uh, you know, Monty Montgomery is the guy actor who played the cowboy. He produces the pilot of Twin Peaks. He helped get uh, Wild at Heart. He basically gave Lynch the script. He Monty Montgomery was originally going to direct Wild at Heart, and then he, like David Lynch is like, oh well, what if I like this? Can I have it? And he basically <laughs> takes it. But he he's been involved with Lynch before, so it's kind of neat to have him actually as an actor in Mulholland Drive. That's kind of cool. He's kind of the most Twin Peaks character in some ways, or at mm. least a Twin Peaks mythology character, because even though he's kind of a malevolent, just because of what he's associated with in the pilot, he's kind of a malevolent force. Mm. The function he serves is very similar to the fireman, you know, where he kind of pops in and gives these sort of vague suggestions or directives. Uh, well, actually, his are kind of specific. His are pretty specific. <laughs> you know, like it, it serves this kind of, advisory role where and he and adam i guess you know in relation to season three adam has to kind of ascend to meet him although it's not quite as uh spiritual <laughs> but he doesn't seem like i have trouble thinking of him as a character like a human character in mm, some way he seems more like a spirit character yeah i agree yeah, I, isn't it funny that like yeah uh, don't we see the cowboy like very, very briefly in the theatrical version again? Doesn't yes. Run past, uh, right. down, down past a window. Is it the dining, dining room? Like they're having uh, they're a having, meal? Yeah. 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 But we also see him when, after they open the block, the so, box, he opens the door and that's says, right. time yeah. to that's wake right. up little girl or something. So two more times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but one of those is reality, right? I mean, I I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. In the in the in the theatrical version, it, uh, is one a dream world, and the other one's the actual reality of the fact that uh, I don't know. Do we want to go there. We want to go there. We went there already. Good night. Another character, you guys. I don't know if you have any thoughts about this, uh, Michael. Uh, you know, little man from another place. Um, Mike Michael, Anderson. Michael Anderson there. We see this character, Raymond, going through this long hallway. This is very Lynchian. He, he, he shows walking down this really long hallway. He gets in this elevator. He says his name. The elevator takes him, I'm assuming, even further down somewhere. He gets into this room where this person is like Hannibal Lecter. He's behind this glass. Yeah. With only like a speaker. Good afternoon, Mr. Rose. Do you want him replaced? I know they said... Then? Then, I guess it would be so. All right, but uh, that means we should... Yes. Put everything down. Is that something that Do you want us to shut everything down? And he reminds me, this is like the Wizard of Oz to me. He reminds me of the powerful Oz. He's the man behind the curtain. Yes. And and he's bigger. He's not he's not a um He's not a dwarf. Or no, they gave him prosthet- like yeah. fake arms and legs, and they shot him in the hero stance, so that the camera's very low, and he looks very big. And he doesn't move. He just has that phone, and he's sitting in the chair, and the guy tells him about what's going on, and then he starts making phone calls. The girl is missing. Then all of a sudden, we see a, a bunch of other people that are getting this phone call about this girl being Rita, we're assuming they're talking about. But it was interesting that, like, 
his character, it, it felt like David Lynch was telling us that Hollywood is darker than we know. Like, Hollywood, there's people who pull the strings. And if yes. they want something... Maybe this movie or this pilot of the show was really David like David Lynch's life. I mean, like that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Adam Kesher is sort of, I think, him yeah, in a way. Right. You know, right? His Hollywood um, experience. Well, it makes him kind of a smartass Tarantino type, which I feel like he was always <laughs> taking shots at Tarantino in this period, like Lost Highway too. I think. Ah. Kind of feels like he's like because Tarantino. I I don't know if it's coincidence or not but the fact that tarantino had that memorable quote about firewalk with me mm-hmm. and then several of lynch's next films are like hey look at this like hipster la guy let's like kill him. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll shut everything down like it was this character is very interesting and it would have been cool to see how this would have went if right. it continued but yeah you're right i mean this is like this is is Lynch, he's telling us about the the, the darkness, the underbelly of Hollywood. Right. We got the underbelly of uh, suburbia, you know, with Blue Velvet. And right. now we're getting this dark underbelly of Hollywood. Maybe ABC was just like, You've, you got too close, Lynch. <laughs> we can't air this. Do you know that we're owned by Disney? Disney? <laughs> we're owned by the biggest corporation in the world. <laughs> they see this, we're done. I, I think maybe it was just before ahead of its time like lynch was always a little bit ahead of his time right and maybe if mulholland drive came out a few years later you know the pilot came after lost let's say it probably would have been embraced yeah totally agree and is lynch we would have had a framework for it it doesn't seem like 1999 i can't think of other than the original twin peaks i can't think of what framework they really would have even had for it you know yeah yeah it was I mean, like, yeah. What, what trend would it have fit in with? Not really anything. The, so the New Yorker they, article they, that I mentioned earlier, um, and you guys are going to put the link up to it, um, does talk about what would have happened in the series if it had been picked up, and where it would have, where you know, generally where it would have gone. It, uh, that Ooh. you would have found out Rita's identity. Um, that Adam and Betty were going to have a relationship. Um, you know, there was going to be, um, and then it says Betty would be sucked into the city's underbelly. Mm. You know, so there was going to be these these plots were going to be uh, explored over the period of however many hours. Yeah, it was just going to be its own thing, like Twin Peaks was. Yeah. And um, again, still to this day, surprised that Lynch was thinking, oh, I'm going to make a, a network television series and they're going to let me do what I want. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> I mean, maybe it's always, I mean, he always has said that like he, what he likes about television is that you can do a continuing story. Like movies, mm-hmm. you, you're kind of wrapping up at two, two and a half hours. But the, I think he was always fascinating being able to cont- continue to keep telling a story. And maybe that's why, I mean, he keeps coming back. I mean, he goes back to a uh, hotel room and did he do anything else? I guess that's it. I'm trying to think if he did any other television. No t- room was it maybe that's it so i don't and you know you mentioned about the the romance thing that was another uh uh abc note is basically you got to have a romance you can't just have these characters they need to, they need to, they need to hook up somehow so i thought i thought adam you know he sees betty during you know and he's like ah that's the girl and he's selling out he you know and they're like oh you made the right decision but he sees betty and i'm thinking oh he sees betty <laughs> And he's like, no, that's the girl. And I thought, oh, yeah. for that's me, the movie even though, right? yeah, it would have continued that he would have fight 
to get Betty somehow to be the lead and not the girl. And then Hollywood would push back against him and, you know, and it would move the pieces of the um, all these other characters to continue harassing him. And maybe they would go on, like uh, John, you said, getting sucked into the underground yeah. So made Hollywood well, very dark. This being a TV series kind of opens up the question in a way the movie doesn't. Why Camilla Rhodes? Like in the movie, mm-hmm. it's just a perfect symbol of like Hollywood overriding everything. But if this had kept going, would they have offered some kind of, well, you know, because looking at it this way, it does kind of evoke this whole kind of mythology that you can see. It goes back to kind of like William Randolph Hearst. And, you know, they play on it a little in Citizen Kane where it's like the mogul has like a mistress he wants to be in the movie. Like, is it something like that? Like, why this girl, you know? Right. And that's a question I wouldn't even really think to ask watching Mulholland Drive so many times. But seeing it this way actually raises that question. Totally. Yeah. Why, also, why this girl, right. right? Is she a spy? Yeah. Is she, you know, what, what what's so special about right. her? The interesting thing is that if this was a television show and it continued, it wouldn't even have to be the same movie. Maybe he got uh, Diane a small bit part in in the movie he currently was doing, and then maybe and she they, becomes more popular than the, this this Camilla. Uh, yeah, right? and then you're able to do another movie, and he can do the movie the way he wants. But like with a continuing story, I mean, if you really do have twenty two, I mean, it's crazy now in in the where we live to think that. That you actually did movie, I mean, TV shows for twenty episodes or something like yeah, that. Because yeah. now we do these short seasons, but it's kind of crazy. Like you have to fill storyline. Like what would Lynch have done for? <laughs> I mean, it was hard with Twin Peaks season two to keep filling up stuff. Like, would you really be able to keep up with the pace and tell the story he wanted? Would Lynch have been pu- r- directing more episodes? Would he? I mean, that's a lot of right. Yeah. Right. Now was Buddy Farrow ninety eight or ninety nine? Because it would have been kind of funny. Was to before this Lynch for sure. And Frost doing their like LA TV shows. They're kind of retro LA TV shows at the same time. Hello? The girl is still missing. It's hard to imagine that that's really the perfect question that you guys brought up about this as a series. It's hard to imagine Lynch wanting to hand this off to some other directors to continue the storyline. Um, that was essentially has been his biggest complaint really about Twin Peaks, right? Is that you know, other people got involved and so yeah. you really don't have the control over it anymore. Well, let's step through how it probably would have gone. Mm. The pilot gets picked up and they're like, okay, now we want you to make eight more episodes or, or 10 more episodes. And we'll mm. decide in the middle of the season, you know, at some point whether or not, you know, we're going to, we're going to we're going to continue um and then of course they have to churn out you know new scripts and new and new production for that back half uh of the season so we would get new episodes come on in february or whatever of 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 2000 the demands of television production at that time network television production at that time it it would have been impossible for lynch to have gone in and shot every single one or written every single one. And so I don't even know if he was thinking that far ahead. I mean, Mm. I I just, it's really hard for me to, to to understand where he was coming from. Would he have been willing to give it to other people? Like, okay, I'll handpick these directors and they'll go with it. Even then it would, it would, you know, drift from his and vision. writers. That's the crazy. And writers, part. exactly. Yes, yeah, without a doubt. Even crazier so, than the directors, in a way. Yeah, exactly. So, how would that have? I just I, that I can't wrap my head around at yeah. all. I think Lynch might have been just so caught up in making this pilot 
that he didn't think necessarily about all of the urgency and mechanism of Hollywood TV production that was going to hit him. Yeah. Um, although you would think he obviously had been exposed to it eight years earlier. So right. it's funny. There, there are there are a few parallels between Twin Peaks and this in some ways. Like I guess they had to have an, an ending for uh, Mulholland Drive, like a closed ending to make sure if they wanted to actually pick it up as a like movie of the week for television. But also, you know, we already talked about this straight story. Was he he was getting ready to do? He was ready to go go to Cannes soon to to uh, air the straight story. So if it had been picked up. I bet you his, his focus would have been partly on the series, but then partly on on uh, marketing and showcasing straight story. And you wonder if that again, his would his attention be on the on the show, or would he be focused on other film stuff that he was doing? I, I think we're lucky that it it worked out the way because the film really is so amazing as it is oh, that it is. Uh, maybe it just all fell into place the way it was supposed to. Very true. David Lynch would say that for sure. And um, I, I tend to agree. I mean, yes, it would have been great to see where this series would have gone. I mean, it would have been canceled. Let's all face it. It would not have made it through a yeah. first season. Um, but And it would have been fascinating. And we'd have a second magazine called, you know, The Blue Key or whatever. But um, uh, I... I love Mulholland Drive, the film. I mean, it's probably my favorite Lynch film. Yeah, um, so good. At least uh, if you don't count season three as a as a film. I, I, I love Mulholland Drive. And so I agree. I'm so happy we have it. Yeah. It's so good. It's considered by many to be one of the best films of the 21st century. Not to us. Yeah. We picked Lost Highway. <laughs> Lost Twin, came out well, no, Lost Highway before. is the 20th century. Uh, yeah. Twin Peaks <laughs> Unwrapped picked Lost Highway uh, as the best lunch of all time, according I, I to us. Maya's arm there. To- <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's lock it up, please. Roll sound, please. That's it. Playback and action. I know I, I want to talk about the ending before we wrap it up, but there's one thing I want to talk about is uh, the scene you were talking, you read us the scene, uh, John, is that blue table with that mm-hmm. phone. It reminded mm-hmm. me of season three when all of a sudden you're getting all these weird devices getting messages about Dougie and Mr. C, and that one box turns into a little circle and disappears. Oh, yeah, right. And that scene reminded me that like all of a sudden this girl's missing and all these phone calls are made. And it reminded me very much of that, this underworld looking for someone. It mm. kind of reminiscent of that. And that scene particularly with that weird phone and that hand, yes. it was very much reminded me, reminded me of season three and those scenes. That I agree with you about the phone call. I mean, when I saw the phone call, uh, I immediately thought of that scene in... Um, and I've just been writing about that scene, so now I want to go back and edit what I've written because, um, it, you know, that that device is on a table and it just kind of beeps in Mulholland Drive, and the same almost exact scene occurs in Twin Peaks. There's a just strange device and it beeps when it gets uh, this signal from from Lorraine, right? Uh, and um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, what it means I don't know, but there's a parallel there. It's really interesting. Should be around here. That's it. Up there. Does it look familiar? All right. Let's talk about the ending. Let's t- How did you guys like the ending of this pilot? We'll start off with you, Maya. Uh, thoughts about the ending? You could talk about the ending of the movie compared to this, or just where do you see this going? The witch or the bum? The bum. I, I thought that 
was actually a little more, it was sad actually in the pilot version because mm-hmm. he was sort of just looking off and it wasn't as scary as it that character is in the film. So I thought there was a little more of a, of a sadness to it. Uh, I definitely would not have, if I didn't know how the movie goes, I would not necessarily be thinking, you know, the connections here, but I, because I do know the movie so well, I just feel like, okay, you know, it, it seemed like (laughs) I kind of know where this would go, or I think I know where this would go. Uh, But I don't know. I don't know (laughs) exactly what to say. It didn't seem to me that different than the film. Right. Yeah. I mean, like she's like, I know what I, you have to do, and she cuts her hair, and like I saw that Diane being dead is a clue of where who she could be, and possibly that person was killed on purpose, and they're going after her. Now that was like, oh my god, I don't know who I am, but something bad's gonna happen to me if I don't change my appearance. So I thought that was kind of interesting, and then yeah, the 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 bum scene was a little bit more dramatic like not scary but just kind of yeah sad it's just like another mystery on a mystery on a mystery you know Mm -hmm. even the blue key getting that key and we don't have a box in this version at all and you're like she has cash and a key and it's just like you're watching this like jj abrams movie where it's just like the mystery (laughs) box is galore right in this yeah Yes, I think, when I think about Lost and I yeah. think about there's the hatch and like what's inside the hatch. And, so and it's like that, all that stuff in one episode. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would give you a whole season to basically figure out uh, what does this key go to and stuff. And right, maybe right. Maybe it's all that. Maybe maybe that key is is the answer to why the conspiracy is after her, that she has some something on them, dirt on them, and if yes. she got access to it, that it would take them down or something. I, I like that. Uh, Joel, what were your thoughts about the last 10 minutes? Uh, like without the context of the movie. It, yeah, the context uh, of this, of this. Uh... Yeah, yeah, just as as being an ongoing series. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. Perfect cliffhanger to end on. Yeah, I mean, that's if if that's the if that is Diane, and I mean, what like was she just killed and like decomposing after a while? Yeah, like, that's yeah, a there a, for a few days. It's yeah. a hell of a like. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like that's a that's a hell of a way to end up, I guess. I don't know. I can't even. And, and John was saying earlier, like he wonders how well, how long it was planned out. And I know they had those anecdotes in the New Yorker, but it's it feels like this would have been figured out somewhat as he made it. Yes, you know, like For sure. I, I feel like he didn't know himself. He pretty much says that in the New Yorker. He pretty much <laughs> yeah, okay. he says it to the reporter basically. He says one thing to ABC. One. ABC is like, I know everything, I know everything, and then he tells the New Yorker, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the writers yeah, of Lost. Yeah. We're, we know where we're going with this. Well, it's like Twin Peaks. They come up with these striking the striking premise and these images, but they only decide what they mean later. And I mean that's what's so interesting about Mulholland Drive the film is that he takes all these loose ends and he finds this just absolutely fascinating way to tie them together that makes it feel like, oh, this is what was always planned. Yeah. Mm. You know, like, of course, blue box and the blue key was actually, you know, that there was a literal blue key that she was handed that she was going to get. Like, it just works so perfectly. But and I think, yeah, he says like, oh, well, that was always the plan. I just didn't know it or something like yeah. that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's why it came to me. But yeah, I, I mean. I 
to try and spin it out into something else. That's the other thing is whatever the outcome of the series would have been, I think the virtue would have been traveling along with it week to week and having that fun experience of where's this going to go and so forth. But it's hard for me to imagine it coming to a more compelling or rich conclusion than it does in the movie. Hmm. You know? mm, yeah. And I don't know if that movie ending would work as well after many seasons either. You're right. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it would, maybe it would click, but it's particularly powerful just kind of cutting it off after starting all these threads and then, it does feel like waking up from a dream and you're like, Oh, but I wanted to finish the dream, but, mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you never can. <laughs> it's you never will. Very true. Uh, John, your thoughts on the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Lynch is it's interesting because um, the ABC did not want that bum shot to be the last shot, the face, mm. you know, there um, they didn't want it that way. And, and he went and he took, I think just about every note they gave him to cut it down to that 88 minutes, except that one, he was going to have that last shot be that, that, you know, very frightening face. Um, even though it would make zero sense to anyone because he, he took out the scene earlier um, where they see the bum um, uh, behind the dumpster. So um, I, I really think that, um, and I'm, I'm talking about the, you know, the very, very end here of, uh, of the 88 minutes. Um, I think that Lynch was going to take the stuff he cut uh, from the two hours and five minutes and just put it in <laughs> to right. later episodes. Yep. That scene yeah, at yeah. the diner was going to show up again. And we were good. That's where, we, oh, so that was going to be yeah. the second appearance of the bum instead of the first. Yes. Um, and so it was just going to be that kind of mystery. And he was fine with that. It didn't matter to him if he wanted that character to be in there. Yep. And so he made sure and that may have been what killed it. Ultimately, they might have said, well, you know, <laughs> we told him not to put that in there and he put right. it in there. So we're not going to do it. But I mean, obviously, you know, the whole sequence of them finding the body and all of that was, you know, to build up to essentially a cliffhanger. It's like, OK, something real serious is, is surrounding these two women. And um, now let's find out how it all plays out. I think Lynch's instincts for telling a story are certainly really strong. He knew how to end a pilot to make it so that you want to tune in again next week, even though he's not really a TV guy. Yeah. Great points. Great point. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. In that article, that New Yorker article, he basically he wanted to take that footage that he couldn't use and reuse it. But you're right. What a great way to end it with a bum. And then you get to discover more about the bum that, that mm -hmm. those people run into her. And then maybe she becomes a bigger part over the yeah. season. Yeah, but uh, there's a Miss Mulholland Drive contest at the end of the season. The bum did it. <laughs> 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 and oh. and, yeah. I mean, she would have been more like the log lady imagine character. That, though. Like, imagine if Mulholland Drives kind of went off the rails. Like, oh, if it, no. like, it got really goofy and there was like like stuff like Nadine throwing the guy, but in Mulholland Drive. That's a that's an interesting direction to right. let him wander. <laughs> <laughs> and since this is the 20th anniversary of of it, it would have been a pilot for the fall instead of the time slot that uh 
that Mulholland Drive was supposed to get was that actually given to Kevin Williams, who did Dawson's Creek, and his show was called Wasteland, and it was like a Friends ripoff. So clearly, <laughs> ABC was basically basically they were like, "This is too old for our demographics. We want some, you know, Friends wannabe," which didn't last for this. It didn't. I don't even think it lasted. I don't know if it lasted the whole season, but it didn't last after no. that season stuff. No. So they they took a chance on a. Uh, Kevin Williams, Dawson's Creek fan, and <laughs> did a crappy uh, Friends wannabe show instead. And, and a little bit of trivia, um, I think it's in the New Yorker article, uh, Justin Thoreau turned down a role on Wasteland yeah. in order to do Mulholland Drive. But Wasteland gets picked up and put in the slot that would have been the Mulholland Drive slot. Right. Um, of course, it got canceled. No one today is talking about Wasteland. No. <laughs> no. And I think um, you know, we're still talking, and people will be talking about Mulholland Drive for a long time. Um, and I think Justin Throw, you know, I think he agrees. He made the right choice. You'd rather work with Lynch on this than, uh, than work on that other show. Yeah. The Tub of Mayonnaise show. <laughs> the Tub of Mayonnaise. <laughs> and you better speak to someone too or find yourself another client. This smells like a setup to me. And by the way, Ray, I don't know who these guys are kidding, but every foot of that film I have shot is in a vault at the lab that only I can access. No one is getting that film. I agree. This is a catastrophe. I think this is a good show, guys. I, 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 this has been great. It's cool to have everyone back and to kind of talk about it as a pilot. I, I mean, know. Yeah. It is kind of fun to, to just imagine what it could have been. And I... I, I have a hard time doing that with a lot of things, but with something that's this far removed and it didn't happen and there's no potential ruining anything, it is kind of fun just to think how this would have worked. I, I think this pilot works as a modern-day television show. I think it's something that matches today's television. I agree. So I think Mai said this, um, but he was ahead of his time with this this pilot. I, mean, I guess is is it still cable though? I mean, I guess t I guess I still feel like streaming services and cable are, are have this level of quality. Network television has to compete. So now the That's quality true. has gotten yeah. better, definitely. I because agree. it's such a it is such a sl lynch slow pace yeah. that like I understand where ABC was like it's been what were we talking beforehand? It was like 10 minutes in. Oh, I told Ben I said that, you know by the time we got 10 minutes in, we just see dog poop. <laughs> I was like, it's 10 minutes, not much has happened, but they show a shot of dog poop. Yes. You know, like, I'm like, wow, ABC is going to be like, nah, I don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> Wilkins, Wilkins, if that damn dog craps in the courtyard one more time, I'm just going to bake his little butt for breakfast. Do we want to go around the table and just say what you guys have been up to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really working on right now is just a little bit of a passion project so i i'm very busy with my day job but uh when i get a chance to do my writing uh i really like to feel passionate about I'm, what i'm working on might do a little bit of updating on my blog but otherwise i'm kind of in the shadows right now well <laughs> that's not i mean you had a little bit in the um uh, 25 years later uh they did the like the yeah. 94 or something Yes, I did. I did a little piece for John Bernardi on the show Silk Stockings oh, from the 90s. Wow. <laughs> I used to watch that show. I, when I was reading that, I'm like, oh, my God, Silk Stockings. I remember USA. I didn't know oh. it was a CBS show or it was on a network at one time. but Very bad 90s trash yes, TV, but yeah. it was um, gluttonous favorite of mine when I was a kid. So I did 
a little thing for him. And I, I'd gladly do more for them again. And, you know, of course, if Scott or anybody needs me, they just put up the bat signal and I'll answer the call. Cool. Those are cool little 25 year later things like uh, picking a year in television or something. It is really nice to go or back in, to it. it yeah. yeah, music and TV and stuff. Silk Stockings just reminds me real quickly of that David Duchovny show. Uh, uh, Red Diaries? Red Shoe Diaries. Diaries. And there was like a like a cable version of that because I remember seeing that like on USA or something and it wasn't like they edited because wasn't that like a premium cable show? I think a yeah, Showtime. Yeah, that was more of an R-rated show. Yeah. Uh, um, I remember uh, seeing it though. Red Shoe Diaries. And, and Cheryl Lee was in an episode with Duchovny. Oh, that's right. That. Oh, yeah, geez. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's funny. Well, we need to do a show about that. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get David Duchovny on. All right, well, we get David Duchovny yeah. maybe. Uh, Twin Peaks unwrapped after hours. After hours. Oh, my gosh. Yes, after yeah. dark, the Retro Diaries, oh, the Shirley episode, have Scott That's Ryan it. on. We're done with unwrapped. You know, Twin Peaks unwrapped, we'll do uh, Silk Stockings. Silk Stockings unwrapped. Or, uh, or Red Shoe Diaries unwrapped. unwrapped. Yeah. Well, somebody should do a show. Somebody should do a fictional podcast where they just go episode by episode through the Mulholland Drive show that never happened. Oh man! And just like make up each episode. Like, oh yeah, well, I didn't really, I didn't expect uh, <laughs> Will start walking in this episode. But... That would get crazy. Then people would actually think there was a real show out there. Like the host, They're looking yeah. for. I can't find it. Yeah, it's not streaming. And Joel, you seem like you're you're extremely busy. I'm always happy to get you on the show, but like I feel like you are so busy with your website, and I feel like you're working on uh, Journey to Twin Peaks season three. And you're probably you, you, I'm getting there. I'm closer yeah. than I've been before. <laughs> I basically have three videos to go before I do that. And feel free. Is, I feel like you can wait till even 2020 because, uh, you know, that's I'm gonna, already, well, I'm going to have to. At this that's point. good. It's, it's celebrate the 30th anniversary with a, a new series. Yeah. There. So cool. That's right. Yeah. Actually, I think it would start based on what the current, you know, what I'm working on and how long it's going to take. I think it would start probably around the 30th anniversary. That'd be cool. Um, and, maybe I could even schedule it for that. And would I have to be a, uh, a pet? Patreon member to to get early access to it? No, Patreon is just for is for the podcast now. So I do uh, Lost in Twin Peaks monthly podcast, which is episode by episode through the entire series. I'm up to episode. I think when we're recording this, I'm like two weeks from the episode eight season two premiere, nice. which is a huge in depth. I think I had to split that into two episodes because it was like too long. To, it's like over three hours. So I had to, wow. had to split it over two because I go through everything. I go through what was on TV at the time. I go like through plot, subplot by subplot, what people wrote about it at the time and later. It's just like every single episode, I kind of apply the same prism to that episode and look at it through all these different lenses. And then I also have a main podcast where I do some sort of Twin Peaks thoughts. I do a new thing called Twin Peaks Cinema where I look at a movie. I've done Fire in the Sky and Our Town so far, which just shows you how diverse Twin Peaks is that I could compare it yeah. to Fire in the Sky and also <laughs> to Our Town. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so so that's fun to do. And um, so that's on Patreon. But I just redesigned my whole website. So now people can go to it. It's not a blog format anymore, although you can look at it that way if you want to, but like it's, it highlights the categories first. So you click on Twin Peaks and I'm, I'm posting these pages on Twitter all the time too, to just kind of, Hey, look, here's, here's one way to explore. You can look at like 
season three episodes and how I've covered them in different formats. Or you can just look at all my video essays in one place or here's all the podcasts. So you go to the main page and it's just like Twin Peaks podcast, video essays, um, TV viewing diaries, which so you click on those and you know, you can, it's just hundreds and hundreds of pieces because it's, it's all my stuff from 11 years, all organized. And that took all summer pretty much. Well, the site looks great. I mean, you did a great job with it. It was fun, but intense. (laughs) Uh, Many, 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 many countless hours. But now that that's done, I set out a path to the journey through Twin Peaks video series um, follow-up on season three. And that the last steps in that path before I can actually start working on the videos themselves are just, I wanted to sort of wrap up three other video essay projects I was working on. And those are pretty quick. So there's th- those I'm working on now. And I, I'm within a month at the most, I should be done with those. So cool. but it feels I'll right. be if working you... on Twitter to Journey Through Twin Peaks by the end of October, for sure. Nice. Uh, yeah, I just, um, I just finished an essay for the next issue of uh, Blue Rose, which is coming out in November sometime. Um, I think Scott's put the cover up online, and he's calling it the black and white issue. Yes, um, I love it. Yeah. And I should tell Joel, <laughs> I should tell Joel right now, um, I gave you a special thanks in my essay, Joel, because I wrote about oh, Judy. Um, we had a long conversation about Judy once, uh, you and I, yes. and I we had several long conversations. We did, and I took a, a stab at uh, you know one of our thoughts about Judy and and wrote oh, nice. um, a couple of pages on that. Right. Anyway, so I, I wrote the essay on Judy. I'm, I'm very happy with it. I think it, it turned out pretty well. I was pleased with with it. Um, with Blue Rose. Uh, is coming out. Like I said, in November, we have uh, an essay in there for, by Brad Dukes in which he takes uh, a fairly critical approach to season three. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe oh, that will rile up some people. Oh boy! Um, and then we have um, a couple of other essays in there that are really good. It's a strong issue, and so yeah, that's uh, that's what. I, and I've I I've been working on some other stuff too, but um, we'll see where that goes. Awesome. Well, thank you guys and. Um, if anybody has a comment, question, or theory, please give us an email at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. Follow us on the old Twitter, like us on the old Facebook, and subscribe. Give us a four-star review on iTunes. We're on Google Play and Spotify and Stitcher. And the end of this week, October 11th, uh, Ben and myself, we're going to be at the Shock Jock in Massachusetts. We're going to, I'm going to finally meet Ray Wise and Cheryl Lee. Ben's yeah. already met them. And Joel Baco. I'm hoping we'll meet you in person if you go to this event. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely planning to, to meet you guys there. That so, sounds like so much fun. On social media, there will be photos of the three of us meeting for oh, the first God. time. Oh, no. First time. It's been, it's been four years in the making here. <laughs> I know. This is very exciting stuff, people. Uh, we're we're very excited. i to get myself ready for my, for my close-up. <laughs> <laughs> so if... Um, if anybody listens is going to be in that area, go in there. Uh, if you see us, Did we say, say hi. Worcester Mass? Yeah, Worcester Mass yeah. at Shock and Jock. Shock Jock. $20 a ticket, so it's super it's cheap. Not bad. It's very cheap. Right. Yeah. yeah, well, they they're, they know how much they're going to charge for an autograph. Right. So they're preparing us. Yes. <laughs> You'll spend hundreds of dollars just yes. to get an autograph and a picture. But yeah. yeah. With that being said, we'll, we'll see you guys in two weeks.
over here. Cindy Adam wants to see Jason. This is the girl. Excellent choice, Adam. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I must go. 